we return to Colossians 1, we're turning to a prayer that Paul gives, and he begins his prayer by thanking the God for what he sees in the Colossians' life. This is what we looked at last week, this, this prayer of thanksgiving. But now in verse 9, we come to the request part of Paul's prayer. It's fascinating to me when I think about prayer and how much respect people have for prayer, even in our culture today. Just a general sense of respect for uh, prayer in general. Uh, we have this in, in Washington, D.C., the National Prayer Breakfast. It's held every year uh, that even uh, politicians, regardless of their uh, religious uh, beliefs, have some sort of respect for a prayer. Uh, even in our own city of Concord, New Hampshire, I've had the privilege on a couple of occasions of opening the monthly city council meeting uh, with prayer. There is a great deal of respect for prayer. I think one of the reasons for this is because when someone prays, they're expressing their deepest wishes and desires. And we see that going on here in Paul's prayer. Paul is expressing his deepest wish and desire for the people to whom he's writing. This is a letter and he's opening it up by expressing what he wants to take place in the lives of these people in the church in Colossae. You see it here in verse 9 and 10. And so, Paul writes, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, here's the kernel of his prayer right here in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Here's Paul's deepest desire for them, that they would have a way of living, this worthy walk, this pattern of lifestyle that is a good, beautiful, right, fitting way of living. And this is no antiquated or outdated theme. This idea of what is it that, we and I, that you and I can do on a daily basis that makes our lives worthy of living? What does a worthy lifestyle look like? What does it look like when someone is in a pattern of living that's a beautiful, fitting, right lifestyle? You and I wonder this. We deal with this all the time. This informs the decisions that we make, how we spend our money, how we negotiate our relationships with other people, how we spend our time. What does a worthy walk, a worthy pattern of life look like? And where does it come from? Now, a couple different ways that you can answer that question, a couple different approaches to that. If you're wondering, okay, what does it look like for me to live a worthy lifestyle? You might on the one hand say, I want to figure out what I want to do and then do it. Like what do I want with my life? You, deep, you, you dig deep within and try to figure out what your own desires are. What do I want from life and then try to do that? That's one approach. Shut out other noises, shut out other distractions, shut out what other people are telling you to do and try to figure out what... What do I want to do? That's, that's one approach of figuring out what this worthy lifestyle looks like. But, but people like that tend to run into a problem, and that is this. Have you ever had something you really thought you wanted to do, and then you realize later on that it really wasn't a good idea? Like, I thought that purchasing that car would be a really great thing. I, I, I dug deep within, I shut out the other noise, and realized, oh, this is really what I want to do. And then down the road, you're like, that was a bad choice. Or, or you, you decided to major in something in college and you thought that's really what you wanted to do and then down the road you, you realize that's not really what I wanted to do, do at all. Or you thought this job would be the perfect job for you. It's what I want to do. It's the way I want to live my life. And then you get into it and you realize I didn't even know what I wanted. There's a problem with the whole approach that says figure out what you want to do and then do it. Often we don't even know what we want to do. Or there's another approach and you can say this. Well, I have a hard time figuring out what I want to do, 
And I, it's a lot easier for me if I just listen to the expectations of other people. You may be the sort of person that you, you tend to be a people pleaser. Try to figure out what's expected of you and then do that. There's also a problem with that approach too. You become a slave to other people's opinions. You never feel like you can measure up. So you see here, when Paul is dealing with the topic of a worthy lifestyle, what does it look like to have a pattern of living that's right and fitting? Well, we tend to go either one way or the other. We tend to dig into our own will, or we tend to dig into the will of others. But what Paul is expressing here in this prayer is this. A worthy way of living, a right lifestyle... The good pattern of decisions again and again it comes neither from digging deep within your own will nor from trying to figure out what other people's will and expe expectations are, but it comes from a different will. It comes from the will of God. That's why he begins this prayer this way. We pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And from the knowledge of his will then flows the worthy walk. You see the direction there. Instead of digging deep from within, try to figure out what I want. Instead of figuring out what other people expect of me, here's where a worthy walk begins. A worthy walk flows from a knowledge of God's will. That's really the main idea here in this prayer and in the sermon, that a worthy walk flows from a knowledge of, of God's will. And we see the theme here in this first section of Paul's prayer is this worthy walk, and we can divide it into three parts. And I'll walk you through this. The first part is of this, this worthy walk is the source. You see this in verse 9. The source of the worthy walk is a knowledge of his will. And the second part, you see the aim of the worthy walk. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What's the aim? Fully pleasing to the Lord. You see, uh, fully pleasing to him. You see this in verse 10. So the source of the worthy walk in verse 9. The aim of the worthy walk in verse 10. And then... In the latter part of, part of verse 10, extending to verse 12, you see a description of the worthy walk. Okay, you see it there. There is the source of the worthy walk, that is being filled with the knowledge of his will. And the aim of the worthy walk, that is pleasing the Lord, to please the Lord. And then a description of this worthy walk. And then we see this in a, a, the fourfold manner here. Being strengthened with all, uh, beginning in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work, being strengthened with all power, Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, increasing the knowledge of God and giving thanks to the Father. So this is fourfold description of this worthy walk. Now here's what I want to do in the time we have left here. I actually want, to, I want us to walk backwards through this. We're going to begin with the description and then look at the aim and then look at the source. Alright, so we're going to look at the description of the worthy walk, the aim of the worthy walk, and then the source of the worthy walk. And the reason why I wanted to do it backward is if you can vision this, this prayer kind of like a stream, okay? So we have the spring of this stream being the knowledge of the will of God. And then it flows into the aim that is the direction of the worthy walk. And then it branches out into like a, a four rivers. And that is this fourfold description. So let's first of all look at the description of the worthy walk. What does it look like? When someone is behaving in a way that is right and fitting, a beautiful pattern of living, what does that look like? Well, first of all, let's understand the whole meaning of this idea, this word worthy. Paul is praying that the people would walk worthy. Well, worthy of, of what? 
uh, worthy of what? We get this word axiology from the word that is translated worthy. It has the idea of something that's, that's fitting or beautiful or appropriate. Suppose you went downtown one evening and you walk by the finest restaurant in Concord and sitting outside that restaurant is a young man on a bench and he is dressed in a suit and tie, fresh haircut, holding a bouquet of beautiful flowers. As you walk by him, you get the, the faint whiff of a cologne and you realize that he must be waiting for someone really special. Like, he, is, he is dressed up in a way that is worthy of a date. That's what he's doing. Maybe he's even going to propose to somebody that evening. And so he's dressed up. He's looking his sharpest, his freshest, his best. He's, he's walking worthy or he's dressed and acting in a way that's worthy of the beautiful young lady that's coming down the sidewalk to meet him. Now suppose you see this beautiful young lady walking down the sidewalk and you look down at the bench outside the finest restaurant in Concord instead of seeing a finely dressed young man, you see a guy that's wearing sweatpants and a, a wrinkled shirt and he's snoozing and he smells bad and, and he is waiting for her too. Now he is not dressed and acting in a way that's worthy. So this idea of worthy depends on this. Worthy of what? What are we supposed to be worthy of? This worthy walk, this beautiful, right, fitting, appropriate way of living. Is this vacation a worthy step? Is this sending this email? Is this a worthy decision? Is the attitude that I have right now, is this a worthy part of this lifestyle? Worthy of what? And what Paul is praying is that they would walk worthy of the Lord. That their way of living would be appropriate to the Lord, that is, Jesus Christ. So we cannot know what it is to live in a way that's fitting and appropriate to have a worthy walk, a right lifestyle, until we know who Jesus is. Who is the Lord? Who is Jesus? We can't know what it means to walk worthy of him until we know who he is. He is the divine son of God. He is the only human being who walked on this earth and never sinned. Every second of his life, he lived in complete submission to his heavenly father and always showed love to those around him. His life ended just the way he lived it. Giving his life in love to people like you and me who don't deserve it. That's who the Lord is. And whatever it means to walk worthy means to live in such a way that's appropriate to this perfect person. Jesus Christ. That's what it means to walk worthily. Now, that's a high order, isn't it? Paul is praying that the aim of the walk would be to, to please him and that we are supposed to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in this description, we're still in the description of this walk, what does it look like? And we see four components of this description. Fruitfulness, knowledge, energy, and attitude. Fruitfulness, knowledge, energy, and attitude. You see the fruitfulness in verse 10. What does this worthy walk look like? Well, the latter half of verse 10 says this, bearing fruit in every good work. This is a fruitful walk. What does fruit mean? Fruit is the evidence that you're walking this way. How does this show? It shows in this. You're doing good things. 
This is very similar to what Paul was thanking the Lord for the Colossians about in the previous passage. He says, I'm seeing faith in you. I'm seeing that you have love for all the saints. I'm seeing that you have your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. These fruits are showing in your life. So that's the first description, the first part of this description of this, this worthy walk. But we see it's also not just the fruitfulness, but also knowledge. Increasing, verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is not a knowledge that remains static. It's a knowledge of God which, who is infinite. Therefore, we can never stop growing in this knowledge. What does this walk look like? What is its description? It's, there's fruitfulness. There's knowledge. But third, there is the energy for this walk. Notice in verse 11, Paul says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That sounds like this walk is not going to be easy. There's going to be something difficult about this pattern of living that requires us to have divine energy. In order to have the strength to live our lives this way, we can't depend on ourselves. We're going to have to depend on God and his strength, the strength that he gives us. That's why Paul says when he describes this worthy walk, not only is it a walk that's characterized by fruitfulness, not only is it a walk that's characterized by increasing in the knowledge of God, but you also need strength for this walk. It's not going to be an easy stroll in the park. You're going to have need of patience and you're going to have need of endurance because difficult things will come up along this walk. People will fail you and disappoint you. Circumstances will turn out not like you expected. You'll run into trials. You'll go into a valley. Things will seem dark and discouraging. You will need strength. And sometimes it'll be all you can do. All you can do is put one foot in front of the other. Several years ago, I ran a marathon. Don't ask me how I did it. I, I put some time in, into training for it, not quite enough, but I found myself uh, on the day, the morning of the marathon, surrounded by crowds of exciting people, ready to run this race. Have you ever wondered why people run marathons? I still wonder why people run marathons, but there we were. Now, when you first start running a race like that, there is so much energy all around you. And there's people crowded around you. They're all dressed and uh, up to go and for, for this long race. Now, the, the race that I was running was, there was a half marathon and a full marathon. And we all started out together. So the half marathoners and the full marathoners. And, and we, we start running. And, and for the first few miles, you can virtually run just on the energy that's around you. If you've run a race, you kind of know what I'm talking about. There's so many people and they're, they're exciting. You, you almost forget that you're running. Because you're, you're virtually being carried along by the excitement around you. And then pretty soon, people just start kind of spreading out. And the energy level starts going like this. And then there was this point when we got to 13.1 miles, when there was a sign that said, half marathoners off this way, and the full marathoners keep going this way. And I remember I was running with a lot of people, and then suddenly everyone starts veering off this way. Like, where is everybody going? Oh, these are all the half marathoners. And then I passed the point at which the half marathoners are left, and th suddenly things seemed really lonely <laughs> and empty. And there was no energy. 
and I kept running, and I remember, I remember specifically at one point, it was all I could do to just put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes life gets like that, right? There are times when there are people around you and the atmosphere is encouraging and, and you can just kind of coast just on the energy that's around you. And there are other times when you realize there is no energy that you could depend on but the divine energy that comes from God alone. That's why this walk, this walk that is, has its aim to please the Lord and that has as its characteristic to walk in a way that's worthy of Jesus Christ, this walk requires nothing less than divine energy. God's strength. That's why Paul prays as he describes this walk that we need to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What is this power for? What is this power that's according to his glorious might for? It is for this. Patience and endurance. Those words mean different things. Endurance has to do with our circumstances. Patience has to do with people in our lives. We need patience to deal with people. To give people second chances, even after they've failed us. And we need endurance to continue on in the circumstances of life that are very difficult. So when Paul gives a description of this worthy walk, it's characterized by fruitfulness, by knowledge that is increasing in the knowledge of God, by strength, by this divine energy that we so desperately need. But there's a fourth component of this description. There's fruitfulness, Knowledge, energy, but also gratitude. You see it here in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. Now something interesting about this prayer, it's like an accordion at this point. It suddenly stretches out and gets really long and it lasts all the way until verse 23. Why, why does it do that? Because when Paul gets to this part about gratitude, there is so much for us to be thankful for that he takes all these verses expressing it. This worthy walk, it's characterized by fruitfulness, by knowledge, it's characterized by this divine energy, but it's also characterized by gratitude. And there is so much that we have to be thankful for. And gratitude is a mark of maturity. If you recall the theme of this whole letter, it is this, that true maturity is found in Christ alone. What does it look like when someone is truly spiritually mature? Well, here is one hallmark of maturity, is gratitude. A person who is not grateful is not mature. That's a spiritual axiom. Gratitude and maturity go hand in hand. A person who's spiritually mature is someone who's going to be overflowing in gratitude for what God has done for them. The same is true on a, on a, uh, that on a, on a spiritual level as well as on a physical level. You take a young person. She grows up with her parents who work hard and do their best to feed and clothe her and care for her and teach her. And then throughout her childhood and teenage years, she's pretty oblivious to all this all the sacrifices that her parents have made for her. Well, you can't expect children to know everything. But then as she gets into her college years and into her adult life, things begin to change. She gets married and she has children of her own. And then she begins to look back and see everything her parents had done for her in a different light. And when she is woken up early in the morning to feed a crying child, and when she changes a dirty diaper, 
she thinks this, gratitude for what was done for her. Now that is a sign of maturity, to be grateful. That's why as we look at the book of Colossians, gratitude is such an important theme. We see this not only here in chapter 1, we also see it in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I want you to look at that. If you have your Bible, flip over to chapter 2. This is the central appeal that Paul makes for the people to whom he's writing. He says in chapter 2 and verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There's the metaphor of walking, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in what? Abounding in thanksgiving. So gratitude is an essential part of being mature and walking the worthy walk. It's not only here, but we also see this in chapter 3. Look at verse 15. Chapter 3 and verse 15, the whole idea of gratitude, it's integral to maturity. Paul writes this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. See, gratitude is not just some random ornament on the tree of life. It's the very fiber of maturity. The description of the worthy walk here includes gratitude on purpose because someone who's walking worthy of the Lord knows everything that the Lord has done for him. And that's why Paul describes the worthy walk in this way. In verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving what? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. A, a mature, worthy walk, an appropriate, fitting, beautiful way of living is characterized by gratitude. It's the attitude of this worthy walk. That's the description of the worthy walk. Now let's look at the aim. The description was fourfold. Now go back to chapter 1. The aim. Remember, we're asking the question, what does it look like for someone to, to behave and have a pattern of living that's, that's bright and appropriate? We, we look at a description of this, and now we're looking at the aim. What is the aim of a worthy walk? Here it is. The aim we find in verse 10, fully pleasing to him. That's the aim. The aim of a worthy walk of a pattern of lifestyle that's truly fitting and beautiful and appropriate is this. The aim is to please the Lord in every way. Now, this, this for me raises a question. I think it should for you too. This is a tall order. How can we possibly please the Lord in every way? I mean, isn't that kind of setting us up for disappointment? Isn't there something in you that, that craves for someone to look at you and say, good job, well done? We experience that as children. We want someone to look at our, our drawing and say, wow, good job. Or listen to our piece on the piano and say, that was so well done. Or listen to us recite some poem or something at a, at a, at a concert and, and, and everyone applaud. We look at our parents and they're proud of us and there's something pure and right within us that, that wants to please someone else. Isn't that why Jesus says in a parable that when, when there is a servant who has stewarded well his master's wealth, he's going to come and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? There's something in all of us that wants to please someone else. But when we look at such a tall order, to please the Lord in every way, how is this even possible? If the aim of this worthy walk is to please the Lord, it seems that all of us will fail. After all, we read in the book of Romans 
that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Chapter 8 of Romans says that, that no one in the flesh can please God. It seems like we have a problem here. It seems like this whole idea that we've been talking about, this worthy walk with this beautiful description of fruitfulness and increasing in knowledge, this whole idea of being strengthened and gratitude, it seems to just shatter on this rock of needing to please the Lord in every way, the aim of the worthy walk. That's where we need to go back to the source of the worthy walk. Remember I said there are three parts of this. There's the source, the aim, and the description. We've been walking through it backwards. We looked at the description. We looked at the aim, which is to please. But what is the source? Okay, if we are to walk in this way, if this is the beautiful, appropriate, fitting way of living, if this is a pattern of lifestyle that is truly successful, that's truly mature, where does it come from? What's the source? And here it is. Being filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, that requires an explanation. Why? Because we need to ask the question, what is his will then? If this worthy walk flows from knowing the will of God, what's the will of God? I want to know. Now, we tend to answer this in, in one way, and this is the first thing that tends to come to our minds, that this is what the will of God is. This is what we tend to think. The will of God is what God wants you to do. Now that is an aspect of the will of God, but that is not the primary aspect that's being referred to here. We, we tend to think this. Just pack your mind full of everything you know that God wants you to do and then go do it. Be filled, this is what we tend to think, be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding and then get out there and make it happen. But let me explain to you that this is, that is not the sense in which God's will is being used here. When Paul says that he is praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, he is not praying primarily that they would pack their heads with a knowledge of what God requires, but that they would be filled, saturated to the brim and overflowing with the knowledge of what God has chosen to do. That is, the knowledge of his will is not primarily in understanding what God wants us to do. The knowledge of his will is primarily in understanding what God himself has done. To be filled with the knowledge of that. Why do I say that? I want you to look later on in this chapter. Another form for the word will of God appears here in, cha in chapter 1 of verse 27. Look at verse 27. Paul writes this, To them God now, the word here, translated chose, is the word willed. <laughs> okay? To them God willed to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here is the will of God. Here is how God shows his will. He shows us Jesus. He reveals to us the treasure and the riches to be found in what, who Jesus is and what he's done. Who is Jesus and what has he done? He is the sinless son of God who loves us so much that he died on the cross for us. That is God's will. That is the plan of God. 
We find this also in Ephesians. I won't have you turn there, but I want you to listen carefully because it is the same idea so that we understand very clearly that what we need to be filled with as the source of a worthy walk is not primarily what God wants us to do, but what God has chosen to do. Listen to this from Ephesians chapter 1. God made known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. We tend to think this, the will of God is some mysterious, hazy blob shrouded in mystery. And if only God would reveal to me his will, then I could know what steps to take in life. This is not the will of God at all. The will of God is plainly on display, and it is this. God says, you are loved in Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. He has died for you. That is the knowledge that we must be filled with. And as you and I are filled with the knowledge of his will, that is everything God has done for us in Jesus Christ, only then and, and from then can, from that, that can flow a worthy walk. How can we ever please God unless we know that first of all, he has, as Colossians chapter 1 says, he has transferred us from the domain of darkness and put us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what Paul goes on to explain. Everything God has done for us in Jesus Christ. My friends, here is the secret to a worthy walk. It is letting your mind and heart be radically restructured by the love of God for you. By what God has so plainly revealed to you in the Bible. Having sent his son Jesus Christ for you to die on the cross, to rescue you from your sin, to lift you out of the pit of misery and self-centeredness that we tend to find ourselves in, and to set our feet on a rock so that our walk can be firm. This is what God has done for us, and this is what he reveals to us in his will. And as we are, allow our minds and hearts to be saturated with that, that is the spring of a worthy walk. That's how we're able to live a life of fruitfulness. To be increasing in the knowledge of God. To be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for patience and endurance. To live a life of gratitude for everything that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's from this knowledge of God, of his will, This is why at the end of Colossians in chapter 4, and I actually want you to turn there so you can see with your eyes. This is precisely why Epaphras, in verse 12, is praying this for the Colossians. Chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul writes, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. What is the servant of God who so loves the Colossians? What is he praying for them about? Here's what he's praying, that they may stand mature and fully assured in what? In all the will of God. What does that mean? That you are so assured in what God has done for you in Christ, that from that assurance flows the maturity and the fruitfulness and the strength and the gratitude that God wants for your life. 
But my friends, you could never know that until you first put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is the first step to Christian maturity. And, and if you're here this, this morning, and, and whenever, whenever we talk about Christian maturity and this worthy walk, there's something in your heart that goes, I want that. But there's also something in your heart that says, but I can never have that. And it's true, apart from Jesus Christ. What do you need to do? Simply this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the message, that's the good news, the message of the gospel. That what you cannot do for yourself, that is rescue yourself from all your misery and find true meaning in life, what you cannot do for yourself, God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And that is something to be received by faith. And my friends, if you have done that, here's what you need to do. You need to be filled with the knowledge of that. Because it's something that you'll never stop learning about. To the brim, let your mind and heart be overflowing with the message of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be filled with the knowledge of his will. What kind of knowledge is this? It's not a knowledge that you get and you're able to write a bunch of facts on a piece of paper or pass a test. It's a kind of knowledge that results in skill. A person who learns music. You don't learn music just so you can pass a test. You learn music so you can play music. You don't learn the notes on, on, a, on a music score so that you can just reproduce it somehow on a piece of paper. You do it so you can sit down at a keyboard and, and from that knowledge that you have flows beautiful music. That's the kind of knowledge that you and I have to have of the will of God. Not just head knowledge. But the kind of knowledge that, that's a, a music-making kind of knowledge that flows out in the skill to live a life that pleases God. I love this definition of theology. Theology, that is a study of God, is the science of living blessedly forever. My friends, that's what it means to be filled with the knowledge of God. And as we do that, then we'll be able to walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord.